This is uh, Joshua Bell with Kilt and the Cloth with our Tuesday morning Bible studies as we continue with 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. And uh, we have a before we begin. Well, last week we were talking about life and sin, and it says with John 2, 12, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name, being Jesus. And then over on 3... Get the right one. Six. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And I've struggled a little bit with that. By the end of our class last week, I decided that I am sinless for a very short time whenever I confess my sins. <laughs> the part I was struggling with is if you live with or you live in him, you don't sin anymore. I would like to think that's true to me, but that's and practiced as he practiced, then you wouldn't be sin. Yeah, but that's I can't do that. <laughs> that's exactly right. Or, or I don't do it. Whatever word you want to use, it does not happen in my world. No. No, we want to see it. So mm-hmm. we're born sinners. Mm-hmm. Well, the only way I can reconcile that is back to I am sinless for just. Until my brain engages after I confess my sins. That was perfect 30 seconds, but that was more of it. I, uh, yeah, I think uh, that's the best. uh... So, thinking to the first century, uh, again, one of the second century, one of the struggles that they're going to deal with is A, what is sin? B, how does that work? Uh, because if, if, if I'm sinning, remember again, I always go back to this because it's, it's very important for us to know the difference for us in the 21st century. Sin has been categorized. It's already told you that if you do these things, this is, this is how you sin in the first and second century. They're still struggling with, okay, if I don't follow Leviticus and Deuteronomy is, am I missing the mark? Um, and because you've got a pocket of Jewish people and you've got a pocket of Gentile people that are, uh, because the Gentiles have no idea what this means at all. Like it's, it's so hard for us to grasp what this idea means that the first and second century, they, they, they don't even know what the word sin is like at all. Like this, this is, this is a whole new thing for them. Oh, you mean this is not a good thing for me to do? Oh, well, maybe I shouldn't do this. Everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is doing it, right? So and it works in their religions. That's right. And and you know, I I've been worshiping this can of green beans for so long that uh I didn't ever think that this can of green beans was not that it could not have created the world, right? You know, so there's this it's really that. Uh, primitive of thinking. Well, they've heard of Jesus. Yeah. They're probably clueless on Jewish. E- exactly. Mean. Yeah. So when he talks about sin, that their idea of sin <clears throat> and y'all's understanding of sin are totally different. Because the church, and I'm talking B- Big C, started giving you definitions of what sin is 
in the first and second century and and even jesus uh struggles with the the language of what is a sin and how does that work outside of the world of the, the world that we live in and so it, it's a it's a good question robert i mean it's not that your questions aren't good it's just the hard part for us is is that we're looking at it through this 21st century lens where sin has been talked about it's been written about it's been theorized it's been theologized it's sermonized and for them they're they're just going well what what do you mean what is a sin like this doesn't make any sense to us at all they reference breaking the law which i assume goes back to jewish that's right i'm sitting there going i speak i don't consider that a sin i shouldn't be doing it but but i don't consider that yeah no they're a sin they're really struggling with so should I eat kosher or should I not? Should I uh, do? Should I do burnt offerings? Um, because you know Jesus does do burnt offerings. I mean, do you remember any place in the Gospels where Jesus did a burnt offering? No. So uh, I mean, he was at the temple where they were giving offerings, but he he himself doesn't talk about that. You know, so there's there's a the the part that's important is is that in the 21st century that they're they're going well what do you mean to follow the law the torah is very explicit well and 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 i'm going to use your words uh it's 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 10 there's 10 rules well for them what are these 10 rules they've never even heard them before so it's it's a whole uh it's a whole thing and and i think the part that i love about reading the scripture this way is just that there is and it's really really hard to separate ourselves from the anthropological lens and the way that we believe uh especially in that time and culture i wanted to talk to me but i have to like sit back up and understand that not all this was written to me exactly 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 and the church has done a very good job and I'm, I'm not and I'm not saying that facetiously of saying, but the scripture can speak to you. So if you have a definition of sin, which we do today, uh, how does that work for you today? Uh, I think that's part of the reason that the canon has lasted as long as it has is because it challenges human beings to be better, to strive harder, to, to live in these footsteps of Jesus. And knowing that we will never be able to fully live exactly like him. We can live a great life, but. Conversation in the car with Lenny, church, goes to the uh, temple. And uh, I'm not sure how we got on the conversation, but we were going to go to heaven again. And I said, well, I hope so. I said, I think so. I'm, I'm promised that, that heaven's assured to me. And she says, well, and I said, are you going to go to heaven? She said, well, I've never killed anybody. <laughs> and I've never stolen anything big. <laughs> and I've never shot anybody. So I think I'll go to heaven. <laughs> From the mouths of babes. Yeah. Well, it's funny you should say that because where we where we lean up into today is a kind of a segue into the, the next part. It, there's a struggle uh, for them as much as it is for us 
this Levitical commandment of loving one another, right? Like we, I've talked about this ad nauseum, but in the first and second century, they had not. So you're, you know, if you're thinking of a, a, a Gentile group of people and they're, and they're hearing it for the very first time, it, you're supposed to love one another. Um, there's going to be some dialogue here that all of a sudden it, it peaks our ears and like, oh, wait a minute, that sounds a little bit different than some of the stuff that we've heard before, because they're still discussing it. They're still trying to figure out how does that mesh. Um, and and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So. To love the Roman, to love a Samaritan. Yeah, that, that's the big part. So it, it goes back to that conversation of who's the audience. So we know that there's there's Jews in the audience. We know that there's Gentiles in the audience and there might be some Romans and Samaritans in the audience that are, we know that, you know, the Romans were the, the, the bad guys to, to the, the, to the people. And at this time, historically super bad, like they, they had completely got corrupt uh, at, at the end of the second century. And um, in the sense of they were enjoying killing people that called themselves a part of the way, you know, they, they, they it was a thing, um, which then there's a whole other conversation about that later, but, uh, towards the end of the second century, there, there's a, there's a move towards, uh, being better than, and trying to find ways of keeping people underneath their heel. That's literally where that term comes from, by the way, is from the Roman empire. So, um, so let's start there, if that's okay. Chapter 3, verse 11. Um, uh, for this is the message that we've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, this is my favorite part. We must not be like Cain, who was from the evil one, and murdered his own brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be astonished, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. Whoever does not love abides in death. All who hate a brother or sister are murderers. Did this have sister in there? Of course not. Yeah. It's all brother. It's all brother. I was going to say, it's that. that's an insert. And you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses help? Little children. I love how he does this. Let us love, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this, we will know that we are from the truth. Now, the word truth here, Sally, in verse 19. Uh, that's not the one I was thinking of. Uh, Theus, that's kind of God. I don't know which of those are separate. Well, we know that Theus would be from God. It truth from God, maybe from the truth, and will reassure our hearts before Him. Well, I'll have to think about that. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, 
and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God and we receive from him whatever we ask. Because we obey his commandments. See, now here's a problem. And do what pleases him. And this is his commandment. That we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. All who obey his commandments, which he's just given you one, abide in him. And he abides in them. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit that he has given us. Right. Right, too. So, um, so we're going to start from the very beginning of this section. And I'm, and I'm going to rock your worlds for just a second. So in the Hebrew Bible, we've had this conversation before, but I just I'm, I want to remind you how this works. The very first time that you see the word kata to miss the mark, which is in the Hebrew world, sin. Now remember, in the to summarize it a little bit, kata in the Hebrew Bible is is any time that you play the role of God. If you take away life, if you steal from one another, things that God has given to you, you're missing the mark. God, you can't play God. If you decide to play God, you kill people, right? If you take away creation, you're killing God's creation. That's right. You lose. If you personally steal the Ruach from someone else on purpose, that's you playing God. That's a sin in the Hebrew Bible. The issue with this is in the fourth century, fourth or fifth it's the fourth, fifth century. There's a gentleman by the name that we call Augustine, who is one of our early church fathers in the Catholic faith. That I'm just going to say it. He really didn't like women. Um, he 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 despised them. He thought that they were they were literally the root of all evil. They um, he encouraged the early church fathers to to go out into the wilderness and uh, mutilate their anatomy in such a way that they would not be tempted by a woman. Totally not joking. He uh, wrote prolifically about how women were the root of the all evil. And he uses Eve in the story for the very first time historically that anybody had ever talked about it as that's when sin began. But they didn't play God. They were human in that decision. You see why the Hebrew culture would struggle with this. It's also something that the church struggled with for another 200 years. Um, but that's when the phrase original sin began. This is in the 5th century. Augustine starts saying this. The church says this is how we're going to do it. And then from that point on, Women were the root of all evil. And I don't necessarily have to go through all of the details, but basically it's important to recognize that in that time frame, from that point on, women were always set apart from everything else. Uh, 
the part that's important to recognize that in the first and second century, there were women that led churches, that women that were uh, leaders of whole communities of faith. And by the time we get to the third century and Rome claims it as their own church religion, um, women were no longer allowed to be in leadership because in the Roman Empire, uh, men are the ones in leadership. So how do we know this? Paul himself writes it in his letters. Uh, he, he talks about these women that were leading the church. Jesus himself talks about it with women and elevates them in such a way that it, it is countercultural. I'm making a big deal out of this because here is a really good example of a theological construct of sin. They go right off the bat of, you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who was from the evil one. And what does he do? Murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds, remember? For them, it's about you choosing to play God were evil and his brothers righteous. So right off the bat, there's this conversation about sin. And one of those sins is, is that you, if you decide to play God and not love your fellow human being enough that you take their own life or take their life, that that's awful. That's when you miss the mark. So this person obviously had to have been Jewish. This person writing this is, is a Jewish person to a different audience. Because again, the Jewish culture didn't look at Adam and Eve as sin. What they did say is the lesson that you learn from Adam and Eve is, is that you should do what God tells you to do and that you should make good choices. But it's not the lesson of when you play the role of God. Because what does God ultimately do in the Adam and Eve story? He gives them a choice. He gives them a choice? He gives them a place to live. He, uh, he gives them dominion over everything. That's right. And then he says, don't. Don't do this. Don't do this. We as humans are going to do this. But then once they've, they've taken of the fruit of knowledge... What does God do? He, he, he takes him away from paradise, which is where we come in, right? Because if Adam and Eve just stopped there, none of us would ever have been born. And then what does God do to them? Give some consequences for their actions. That's when pregnancy comes in. That's why uh, we will till the earth. And that's why, uh, uh, oh, and let's not forget that he clothes them before he sends them out into the wilderness. Puts clothes on them. He puts all of this stuff, he takes care of them, and then says, uh, and now you are going to have to live as humans, not as celestial beings. Remember, because at the very beginning of the creation story, he says, let us create them in our image. So as celestial beings, you live in paradise along amongst us. Remember, God's walking around the garden like it's just like every day. And then he casts them out and they're now on earth in the creation. And that's where we all came from. That's the story of Adam and Eve in the Hebrew world. 
Augustine changes that story and says, well, that's when we first sinned. And look at the, the, the devil woman that made it happen that way. Now, this person is obviously Jewish and says, uh-uh. The first time that we did not extend God's love is this when Cain kills Abel. So yes, I'm, I'm going on a soapbox. But it's important that we have this discussion, especially from this Jewish lens. Because if you continue on with this, we have known that we've passed from death to life because we love one another. What does that mean? I'm in verse 14. So, real quick, did the Jews believe in the devil? Oh, yes, very much so. So, so the devils exist in it. Yes. But I, I mean, I know he was in dark deep. I just, I struggled right here with the devil's in control. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't go with that. I mean, no, but evil does. Yeah. yeah right. I, I don't just, yeah. I mean, I'm, if I do something I shouldn't do, if I kill somebody, then I'm following the devil. That's right. I'm just, my brain says, but. The devil didn't make me do it. That was, I'm back on free will. That was my choice. No, no, you're, it's also something that they're still struggling with also here. Like, what does it mean to have free will? Well, it's easier for us to say that the bad things that we do is because, like Pam said, the devil made me do it. And they probably had no, no free will. That's I mean, right. If they're slave, they, they don't know anything. They don't, they don't understand this idea. So let's go back to this idea. We know yes, from death to life. That's that's Jesus. I mean, that's eternal life, that is heaven. That's something that they're gonna have to grasp. And I'm talking about the Jewish. Yes, that's so, what I'm bringing. That's that's the whole reason we're talking about this. Well, in my small mind, if no, this this is deep <laughs> stuff. Mind. Um, if you're not living in love, then you're living in darkness. Yes. And darkness is evil. Yes. That's what's, I kind of want to talk about. That's exactly what it's talking about. And 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 so if and and you have to do this in such a way that it's in the light. You have a choice. If you want to live in light, or if you want to live in darkness, it's not gives us a choice. That's right. That's so right. Really down the rabbit hole. Do you think they had established? Did they meet on Sundays? No, I, I, mean, I do not think they had established days of meeting. I I, I, I picture. I mean, we we talk about meeting in people's homes. Yep. Well, they. I don't see the Roman government giving them enough flexibility. I don't see them having a day off. The they I mean, definitely did not have days off. Um, so this this has been a. A, a really big, deep discussion a, a while ago about how did they meet? Well, they might have met on the Sabbath because they did honor that um, for a period of time. You know, there there was there was a period of time where you followed your your religion, and Rome acknowledged that. Remember, Rome. One of the things that Rome did was brilliantly politically was is that whatever religions that they took over, right? They built the temples. Or they allowed you to build temples in that name of that God. or you, And you had to build their temples as well. 
So it was brilliant. These had to be, these people here had to be in the food chain higher than the normal person. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, they're reading and writing. They're reading and writing. So, I mean, Def they, they somebody got, is, yeah. You know, whoever I was thinking, but they probably, like you said earlier, they were Romans, but they, Romans would have had people do it for them. Do it for them. And here's the part I really want you all to grasp. This, this is a deep theological thought. Whoever has passed, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. There's this thing in the Jewish culture that when you die, the Ruach is, is gone. The breath of God is gone. And then your earthly body wanders aimlessly in Sheol the whole time because the Ruach is gone and it's in, in Sheol is in the ground. They, they think primitively, right? Because they bury people and your body gets returned to earth and we're not going to get into some weird uh, it, it's reincarnated, but it has been brought back to the earth to recreate new life, right? It's very beautiful the way you think about it. That's right. That's right. So, so there's this beautiful concept, but when death has now gone away through Jesus and you are to live like Jesus and Jesus says over and over again that you are to love one another he, this author brilliantly is explaining that you too will pass from death into life. And that's where the phrase eternal life comes from. They're far enough away from, they are far enough away from Jesus that they have. They're, they're formulating this. I mean, they, they aren't doing it just because Jesus told them to. Right. They're trying to figure out who he is. <clears throat> why he said these things yeah i mean to explain it's the whole thing if you want to understand something better try to explain it to somebody else exactly and that's what's happening here at any moment yes yes and where i need to go yeah, and if this is written in the second century, they're like, okay, well, it didn't work for Paul. Uh, it hasn't worked for uh, Matthew, Mark, or Luke. Um, so maybe we still haven't figured out our lesson. No, notice that there's still, at the very end, there's a conversation of spirit. Since the Holy Spirit. That's the problem. There's not a Trinitarian thought-out process here. God, yes. Son, yes. Holy Spirit. Uh, we know there's a spirit moving through us. <laughs> That's exactly right. So it's it's a it's a problem. They're still not. They still don't have answered. It's something the disciples could have understood better. They, I mean, sure. But then they they got when the spirit hit them. They knew it. They knew it. Yeah. And Peter says so in Acts chapter two. You know, this, there's this moment that no one else could explain it. So speaking of which, since we're going into spirits, perfect segue into the beginning of chapter four. Any questions before we go on? The uh, moving from death uh, 
to life. And because I was raised to cycle kind of like that, I, I see I see baptism there. You go under the water, you old you guys that has been used for baptism, yes. Yes. I would I, I would go with that and the language that once you go into the water you're dead to self and you come out of the water you're alive in Christ. That that language has been taken from this particular passage. Uh, and another one that's similar to that. So because uh, I think James says it too and um I don't want to say Titus because I'm I think I'm wrong, but there's another passage that's similar this this idea of where baptism comes from. They're still struggling with baptism, if I'm being totally honest with you. Um, actually, baptism itself becomes a struggle for the first and second century church because you still have people that align themselves with John the Baptist in the first century. And that eventually goes away towards the end of the first century. And in the second century, they're, they don't know how they're supposed to do this act because in the Jewish ritual of cleansing, there's there's a there's a process and procedure. So when the Gentiles get into it, part of the part of the issue that we we start to see anthropologically is how how does that work, right? The, the coolest thing is is I go back to Pompeii. Um, in Pompeii, in the archaeological digs, they have found that in each some of them in the rich homes, there were inside the homes uh, Roman baths um that were built and and some uh scholars have hypothesized that that's where the baptisms took place because they weren't near the jordan or near uh necessarily water that was available so like in pompeii there were some that were in there and why does that happen well because in the tiles that are next to it it shows people dunking inside the water just an interesting conversation that takes place and that happens at the end of the first century so uh, we know that there were Christians in Pompeii. Like that's this, I want to say the Christians. Maybe I'm being super excited about it, but we just, we know that when we look through it, there was a, a lot of discussion, but the theology from death to life uh, is definitely in that, in that language. It's a ritual cleansing by dipping in the waters. Yes, yes. And then, and in the Jewish culture, it was 100% of who they were. So cleansed them of their sins. The Jews. Yes, after their offerings had been given. I'm just saying, it's easy to have to transition. Yeah. I mean, still, if when you get baptized, uh, you know, you're being cleansed of your sins. Right. And then we, as Christians, proclaim. Son. Yeah. So, I mean, Jews, guess what I'm trying to say is it's doing the same thing for the Jews, or it's doing the same thing for us that did for the Jews. And, yes, and for those past us. And then, yeah, claim Jesus. That's right. So, I'm going to go back to this idea of spirit. There's a spirit that moves amongst us, he says, uh, and that it abides in us and by the spirit that he has given us. So here we go. Start chapter four. 
Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming, and now it is already in the world. Little children, you are from God, and you have conquered them. For the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world. They Therefore, what they say is from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God does not listen to us. From this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Um, so, is it really? I'm wondering. It's got to be. Always, it's not knowledge. I'm going to have to look that word up now. Well, that it's uh, it's spelled differently for that one, but yeah, that's that, that's I'm guessing that's where it's coming from. I I, I think the part that's uh, interesting to me is this, notice that spirits is plural here. This is not Holy Spirit, like you all have been brought up to understand that there's a this is this is a struggle. The spirits are humans. Yeah, they're still not defined. To me, it was whatever motivates. And when I first saw spirits there, my brain just went to uh, alcohol. Oh, yeah. So, anyway. I just like to pose this test of spirits here. That's right. <laughs> not that my brain goes any, I mean, you know, the spirit is something that you're going to follow or you know, it inspires you to follow. Mm -hmm. Good coaches, you know, give you the raw, raw speech. If something wells up inside of you that makes you want to do something. But half an hour earlier, you're just sitting around with no desire to do it. To me, it sounds like, okay, these are good speakers. It's not used much in this world, but it's amazing to sit down and listen to somebody that really is a good speaker, somebody can motivate you. Get you fired up, and whether by word or I don't discount that they have alcohol and or other drugs that may be used in any of these. I don't want to call it churches, anyway, different religions. You can't have both. That's the point. Every time I see truth here, I, to me it's God. And, and the words almost are interchangeable, though they use both of them in the sentence. And and that's also important important to notice. They they use them interchangeably, but notice that the so if if we go with what you're saying, the ones that are speaking the incorrect message are from the Antichrist. That 
this is a different theological construct. That's the part I really want you all to catch. This is why historically uh, the church has said, well, the first, second, and third John were the same guy that wrote the revelation of John. The issue with it is, is they're about a hundred years apart in, in, in being written. So, uh, so that, so it's possible that maybe revelation of John could have inspired this writer. That's probably where I would lean um, in an anthropological lens because of the, the, even the language. So are these antichrists bad? Yes, because th they're humans that are preaching against what God has given us through Jesus. They're leading me away from exactly. I just went to Revelation yeah, Antichrist. You know, I, somebody carrying a big stick that's out there just doing harm. Yeah, this one sounds like to me. You know, I'm just going to go with the falsehood. They simply are on the wrong track. They do not understand. They're doing bad, but mm -hmm. I don't think they're intentionally. That's not the right word. I think they believe in what they're doing as opposed to just you know, anti-grass in the revelation period because it's just somebody carrying a stick that has all um, the desires to destroy the world. Yeah, and it... No. So that... Yes, so there's a whole bunch here, right? Like, that's, that's why I definitely wanted to stop. So, uh there's a definition of antichrist that they're giving to you here. And it's literally as simplistic as this person is preaching against the teachings of Jesus. Exactly. Exactly. Because Jesus is the only son. Exactly. Exactly. That sounds like why somebody might pick on the Jews. It's exactly why people might pick on the Jews. That's a, that guy was smart. Yeah. I must have had good coffee that day. Oh, that would make sense. So I definitely had good coffee. That's when I started drinking coffee again. Um, it's definitely getting us and It's 100% getting us and them. And this is where, like that Josh said, uh, if, it, if, it's, if it's for the world, it's not of Jesus, right? And this also would go into this, if it's not of God, then, then it's, uh, it's dangerous. So it's, it's a warning. It's the, it's it's the it's that light and darkness thing again, Tammy. It's this idea of how do we do this in, in a in a in a safe way? Well, you can't. And there's multiple voices at you at all times. And again, I, the, I think the part that I'm really wanting to hit on is this does start to lean in towards anti-Semitic language. This you you hear the church say over and over again. Well, the Jews aren't going to heaven. Well, guess what? The Jews don't care. <laughs> they don't believe it in any way. They've got a better promise. That's that God, God's already promised to them that they're they're taken care of. The, the, the problem that we have is, is that God gave us Jesus, and we're supposed to worry about that. And it's so hard for Christians to recognize 
that, well, we're supposed to save the Jews. Why? God's already promised them a, a, different, a different promise. Our promise is through Jesus, and Jesus opens the door for heaven. And heaven is, is such a, a huge, huge biblical um, craziness, right? So I've, I've heard this passage of scripture specifically used. To say, well, you know, this is well. Martin Luther uses this this uh this thing in, in one of his languages against Jews. Um, uh, John Calvin uses this passage against Jews. How do they reconcile learning? I mean, literalists. I mean, you know, if if we're told to love one another, then that makes it kind of difficult if you're persecuting anybody. Well, you're. You're only persecuting people that don't believe the same way you do. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm trying to be, I'm not trying to be, that's right. We don't count them as brothers and sisters. We did a good job. We collectively Christians did a good job of persecuting Christians. Yes. For a very, very long time. We're still doing it. Like, like it's, it's still, it's still awful. This sounds like to me that this conversation would drive the religion underground. And I know that you know, there's potential of Rome persecuting, but it seems like that if you're not supposed to be of the world, that you would distance yourself from any of that. Yeah. Just take temptations off the board. It's, it's, it's why we find these anthropological groups that were not living anywhere near each other. The, 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 the interesting thing, since you, since you opened this can of worms, I'm going to go there. How many of you have heard the phrase Gnostics, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S? Uh, this is the group of people that put the Dead Sea Scrolls together. There's there's a conversation about them. Um, I, I, I really push my professors in seminary about what made them really bad. Like, I don't I don't understand because say, they're the bad guys. They're the bad guys. And that's the, all I know about. Is the, the Protestant tradition, the Catholic tradition, uh, everyone talks poorly about them. But we use their writings, so I don't I don't get that at all. You know, not that I'm bitter. Um, so I just said, what 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 makes them so weird? And they said, well, they hid away from society, um, and they kept the truth. Uh, they had the 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 gnosis. Gnosis is the uh, the secret, right? So there's this. They they had the they had the word. No one else could have it. So they hid out in the wilderness, and then they hid the word. In, in in the decays. Well, if I read this passage of scripture and I lived in the world that I lived in in that time frame, I probably would do the same thing. <laughs> I'm just saying, I probably would hide. Do we know that the Essenes were Gnostics? So, great question. So, uh, the uh huh. Yes. So we tie them together all the time. Uh, we know that those no, we have no clue. People. Okay. No. So they might not have been Gnostics at all. That's right. So Gnostics, exactly. The The interesting thing is what I've found and what my professors finally admitted to me was Gnostic was just a, a derogatory term to say they weren't a part of the church. It wasn't a people. No. No. They were just they were just weird. Yeah. Well, here's here's the part that's I have had to learn the hard way. 
there's a difference between a movement and a religion. A movement is a group of people that have similar thoughts and, and it has a life and it has it's organic and things happen. Like all the conversations we have in Bible study, this is a movement, right? I don't teach this as if it's the Christian church disciples of Christ way of believing that this is we're discussing how this could have looked at in the first century uh, or second century. When you create a religion or an institution, you create what? Bylaws in the Constitution. You have to have rules. The, everybody has to operate a certain way, otherwise the institution won't function. It's the same way with culture. Every single culture has their own societal ways of looking at laws and how they manage each other. Aztecs decided to do things that were really extreme uh, by you know human sacrifices to prove that their gods were above all. Right? It shapes morality. It shapes morality. Or morality. <clears throat> Average. Yeah, depending on which area of the world you live in. But the interesting thing is, is in every anthropological world, there's a set of rules. The Essenes, the Gnostics, the Gnostics had a separate <laughs> had a separate way of belief that that's what I'm saying. Now, my professors will argue with me at it, but no. but they uh, had to have a box thrown in. They had to have a box thrown in. And what made them weird is, is they had a different set of rules than everybody else. And so they, they, their little movement became not cool. They were considered antichrists. They, they backed up. I said you went underground. They internalized. That's right. Monasteries. They still exist. Yeah. Because to me, people want to go worship God on their level, remove themselves from the world. They, they want to do it however they understand it. Asceticism itself, which Augustine was a part of, was in order for me to truly feel the presence of God, I have to separate myself from the world. So therefore, I must go out into the wilderness so that God can present God's self to me. How? Well, by me fasting, by me staying away from the wicked women, from me staying away from society, and then God would provide for me in those days. Why? Because they took one line in the in the the gospels that said Jesus would go out and fast for 40 days and 40 nights, and God would provide for them in that moment. That's that's where that whole idea comes from. And this whole uh, 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 monastic, because it starts with this theology of asceticism, monasticism then creates communities away from society and so when you see these monasteries being created they were there to serve the community that they had been called to and actually if i'm being real honest with you the communities were built around the monastery because they became the place of social life they became the place of industry they became the place of their faith um, and so when the catholic church because they were separate from the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church acknowledged them as teachers, but they were not necessarily a part of the Vatican. When the Vatican acknowledged monasteries as a part of it, the industry that they had created in these communities would then send a tithe to the Vatican, which is when things started to get a little 
weird and sketchy, but it, it worked itself out. It's it's fine. But to this day, one of the struggles that we have is every time that you have a movement that's created in the name of God through Jesus Christ, everything's fine until you create a religion or institution around it. That's when you start using the words, it starts with a C. We're all cults. Cult. We're all cults. That's the definition of Religion. religion yes it's a it's the belief of and then the creation of and an institution around it so the part that's scary and the part that this guy is preaching against is watch out for those groups that are creating themselves in the name of jesus and they're not teaching anything about him does that make sense okay um we don't have enough time to go through the next section so i i read this here but that still is going on even in fairy oh yeah right now <laughs> right right so it's it's not new knowledge i mean it's it's something that's still ap applicable to us yeah no i i think 100 percent what's belly unforgivable sin leads somebody away from Oh, and to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. That's my that's my favorite biblical trivia question. The well, that's that's because it's 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 unforgivable. Nobody's ever been able to do it. Uh, my I asked my dad this question a long time ago. How, how can I not? How can I blaspheme the Holy Spirit? He says that's why we don't know. There, there's not a way to blaspheme it because everybody's afraid to find out. Because <laughs> we'll we'll do it with. That's right. We don't want to find out. And so, you know, we can blaspheme Jesus and God all day long, but man, no, nobody wants yeah, to mess with us. <laughs> That's right. We don't want to mess mess around with uh, the Holy Spirit at all. And every culture has decided, yeah, we're not going to do that. Um, so, uh, and, and, and then to turn somebody away from God, I is, is another part of that, the language there that takes place. It's really cool. Um, so yeah, I think this is completely ap applicable to us today. Uh, I get really worried. I think as a minister, since you brought that up, Karen, the, the part that makes me nervous is is that um, the world we live in has 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 come to this understanding that I I really don't need to study the historical creation of the Bible or the historical understanding of how it became. Um, it just is the Bible just is. And, um, and, and I get so nervous because yes, you can take it for word by word. The, the issue is, is that if, if we don't look at it from this lens, uh, it, it can cause a lot of ecclesiastical brain damage. Um, I mean, it, it causes a lot of problems and like, like Robert commented on the fact that this, this passage has been used to create anti-Semitic talk. Like, why? That's not out of love. That's that's not what's. I, I don't I don't I don't get it. I get really frustrated in today's culture in the sense of any time that a church is preaching against humanity in one way or the other, um, like a, as a sense of judgment. I get really scared because I I don't I don't want to be God. I don't want to play God. I don't want to try to be god i'm just going to keep doing what i'm doing and pray to god that i'm doing something right 
because I don't think I do half of the things right. But I always quote movies. One of my favorite, not favorite, <laughs> it's favorite in telling us we're doing wrong. It's how to keep the tip where the priest says God wills it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sitting there going, I, I don't think he wills that in this particular instance he's calling for, you know, we're going to go kill the bad guys because God wills it. And I struggle with that in the Old Testament. We discussed that mm-hmm. the other day. But yeah. Not my God. I'm, I mean, no, no, I hope it's not for most of us, but there are moments that we're supposed to defend ourselves. It's different than. So before you came, we were having a discussion and we came to think about two times three days about not trusting people when you were trusting when you used to be. Oh, oh yeah. And, and when we drove down Oklahoma City this time yesterday, and uh, I don't trust the people that are asking for food on the side of the road. I don't trust the people that, that they really are needy. And so I don't do anything for them. So therefore, am I not doing what I should be doing and where does that fall into this? Because uh, it's just kind of a weird line in that there's some charlatans out there that I don't know who would tell who does it. I was driving Stillwater and there's almost always a woman on the corner with a baby in the stroller that I need I need diapers and food. I'm going, well, there's diapers all kinds of positions around here. Are you just we stopped on our way to New Hampshire one time and there was a lady pulled up gas pump lady next to me and I started pumping gas and she said uh, you know, can I have $10 for gas and I said well I'll just fill your car up for you it took 15 cents worth of gas <laughs> this is you know, at four dollars or something a gallon, her car was full. You know, she wanted the money. You know, gave me a nice story. Whether it, anyway, so I gave her ten dollars, and the minute I gave her ten dollars, a guy in a different car on the other side of the parking lot popped up and came over and took the money away from her. And anyway, you know, the whatever you wish to call them. They're, they're real, but it, it taints your willingness to, to help. I think that's when you have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit tried to tell you whether it's real or not. I think this is exactly what this passage of Scripture is talking about. My daughter worked with, and does work with a lot of uh, people that have issues and it makes you really, really nervous about whether you should help them. Helps the wrong word. Whether you should engage them. I'll just simply put it that way. And uh, which I've noticed some people here in Perry. It makes me wonder because they're. I'm just going to call them homeless. Mm-hmm. We were at McDonald's last week, and there was a lady that was sound asleep at eight o'clock in the morning. Before we come down here, eight thirty, and she was sound asleep. It was like, well, should I go <laughs> ask her? If she needs help, and then it's like she's sleeping. <laughs> Better leave her she's alone. What she needs at the moment. Yeah. There's, there's a guy that goes into the 
And I think this is the part that the first and second century is is still working on. Um, and and it actually is a good way to to kind of close out the study is just that the struggles that we have today with the phrase loving your neighbor is and and how do we do that is the same problem they had back then so that's not a new concept either it and and it is hard because our world i think tries to be more philanthropic than because we can right like it's it's not a thing it's 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 a it's a reality we we you know even if the 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 part that has humbled me more than i deserve is just that when we're at the food pantry and people are getting food and in the language that they say is uh i have plenty but my neighbor does not and i'm and and i'm like oh okay yeah whatever and and then then you find out that they actually took the food to their neighbor and were actually making sure that they were okay and that and then all of a sudden it's like man i i just really have to check myself every time somebody comes and asks for food at at the pantry cuz 9 times out of 10 it's legit and it's they're literally taking care of someone else or they're taking care of each other or taking care of their families and it's just that one rotten egg but then I just have to remind myself that God, I mean, Jesus tells us to give with the right hand so that our left hand doesn't know what we're giving. And I find peace, but I have to check myself every time, every single time that that happens. And I think that's happening in the first century um, because they're all poor. They have nothing. Um, and so when Jesus tells them that, he's saying, you have an abundance if you worked together. If you took care of each other, you would all be full, um, which is kind of our goals. So I'm going to stop the recording there.